Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. Welcome. How are you? Good. I'm glad. I'm excited this morning to be uh, with you, and and we're kind of diving back into our last days series that we started at the beginning of this year. Um, have you ever, I don't know if this is your experience growing up, it was for me in our house, we had a big family. I have two younger brothers and an older sister, and and uh, I remember when someone would come over unexpectedly, like there'd be unexpected guests, right? So company is coming, my mom would go, quick, straighten up the house, company is coming, you know? This family is stopping by. And and so we'd scramble to straighten up, and you know, we might have, there might be something like a, 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 a couch with a stain on it, or some, something that we couldn't, address before this unexpected company was coming and she would go throw a blanket over it just throw a blanket over it right i i sometimes feel like revelation is the book of the bible that as christians we all kind of wish we could just throw a blanket over it you know like like you know it's it's uh if we're being honest it's it's strange and it's difficult and it's hard and that's because it's hard for us as modern people to put ourselves in the shoes the sandals of the the people that first heard this letter, this, this book, the first century Christians, because those people um, were steeped, uh, they were drenched in Old Testament literature. Um, let's be honest, we're not, we're not. I mean, when was the last time you spent three months just memorizing the book of Daniel, right? Right? You know, but these first century Christians, it's all they had. They didn't have a New Testament. They might have had a few letters of Paul at that point or, or uh, maybe some fragments of what we call Matthew now. But when they received this book of Revelation, this letter from John, what they knew is Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And so they clung to these words. And so it's written in that context. I, I kind of think of it like this. It would be, it'd be like this. Um, has anybody here watched the, the series on uh, Disney Plus, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Has anyone watched that? Seriously? Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, okay, so the rest of you are dead to me, of course. Um, <laughs> can't relate at all. It's awesome. It's like, it's awesome. Six episodes, it's, it's awesome. But if you, if you were to just tune in and watch Obi-Wan Kenobi and you'd never seen a Star Wars movie, you didn't know anything about it, you hadn't read a book or a, a comic book or anything, you knew nothing. You knew nothing. You'd, you'd tune in and you'd watch Obi-Wan Kenobi and you'd be like, why is this guy in the weird mask with the breathing problem, hate that space wizard so much, right? Like, you would have no frame of reference at all. And I sometimes feel like when we as modern people, we crack open the book of Revelation, we do it that way. We go, what is this about, right? I mean, like, I, I study the Bible a lot. Like, I do this, so I, like, I read it a lot. And even, you know, and even me, when I'm going through like my YouTube feed, I get a lot of like, teachings and messages and videos from other churches and when I see another church is doing like a 12-part series on Revelation even I'm like eh, you know like mm, I don't you know and it's because we just don't have the frame of reference the context so what we're doing together we're kind of putting our thinking caps on but more than that what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the shoes of these first century Christians and thinking about how would they have heard these words 
A verse that uh, caused us to think about this when we were contemplating this series comes from 2 Peter. And Peter writes this to the early church. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, in other words, since all of this, all of these things aren't going to last forever the way they are, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a good question for us. If nothing lasts forever, what kind of people do you want to be? So that's what we're doing. That's, that's this last day series is us contemplating that question. It's not contemplating whether or not tomorrow is the end of the world or next week or six months or five years from now. It's if these days are the last days, then what kind of people do we want to be? When you look out in the world, it's clear. It's clear to me. I'm sure it is to you as well that the world is not as it should be. We know that, right? We know that the world is not... There's something wrong in the world. And it's true that we have, there's moments of peace and beauty, and there's good things, but we're often left down. And we're, it's, it's easy to be reminded that there's a brokenness in the world, right? Right? I mean, you, you see it when you look into the world. There's, you know, and it's true that for us right now, things are probably better, you know, in terms of our, you know, we have, uh, you know, our technology, our standard of living is vastly improved over previous generations, but there's still something dramatically wrong when we look at the world. Um, because when we look at the world, even today, we see things like, like war and violence and human trafficking, trafficking and poverty and, and famine. And we see plagues and suffering. And they, they affect people, more people than ever before in human history, actually. And that's, that's bad news. Sometimes before you talk about the good news, you've got to talk about the bad news, right? That's bad news. The world is upside down. That's not good. But there's a hope. There's a hope. And, and that hope is Jesus. We, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you know that part of our hope is the knowledge that he promised to return. And when he does, he's going to make things better. He's going to turn the world right side up again. So today, is we're, we're going we're gonna to read from a chapter of Revelation. And I just want to put your mind at ease. We're not trying to... Uh, look for clues to suss out the, the, something about the end of the world. We're not, we're not doing that today. We're not doing that. We're, instead, we're going to talk about how we should live in light of these realities. So here's, here's our question for, for us at the beginning here. Here's our question that we're going to be contemplating. Have you ever been hurt in a way that was completely unjust? Have you ever been hurt in a way that was completely unjust? And I don't mean like you stubbed your toe I mean, or, or someone said something hurtful about a new haircut that you had. I mean, I, I'm talking about have you ever been deeply betrayed? Have you ever experienced something, some pain, some wound that was radically unjust? It wasn't fair. That thing shouldn't have happened, right? This middle section of Revelation that we're in right now, so we're breaking it up throughout the year. That's what we're doing. We started at the beginning of the year, then we talked about other things. We're jumping back in just for a few weeks, and then we're going to do some other things, and then towards the end of the year, we're going to finish it. This middle section of Revelation, it's chapters 6 through 16, and we're not going to read them all. We're just going to kind of touch on them a little bit in these few weeks. This middle section of Revelation talks about why this is happening. Why do we experience unjust things in this life? That's a question a lot of people have. You know, in philosophy, they call it the problem of evil, and it's a big problem. If God is good, why is there evil and suffering in the world, right? So chapters 6 through 16, which is kind of where we're, we're looking at right now, 
Um, it's also where people get a lot of their ideas about what they think the Bible says about the end of the world, right? Because this section has all of the violence and the earthquakes and the blood and the monsters. It's all here. It is. It is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But have you, did you ever, uh, in whatever mall you grew up near, did you ever have one of those stores in your mall where y you went and they would have like art that hung up facing out? So if you're walking by, you'd see one of these paintings that look like a bunch of paint splatters. But if you stand and you stare at it long enough, like something else comes into view. You know what I'm talking about? It's one of those images that's like there's another image behind it. And you stand, like I remember the first time I saw this, I was probably 12 or 13, Katie's age, walking, hanging out in the mall, you know, coming from the food court probably. And there's one of these images, and, I'm and there's all these people looking and staring. And then pretty soon someone goes, oh, I see it. It's a herd of horses, you know. And the rest of us are like, I don't, I don't see it at all. But, you know, it's, Revelation is like this. If we look past all of the, the violence and the earthquake and the monsters, there's something behind these images. These are images. They're just symbols. And there's an answer to this question, why are things the way that they are? And even better than that, there's an answer to this question, what is God going to do about it? So that's what we're looking at today. So we're, we're going to be in chapter 6. So if you want to crack open your Bible to chapter 6, the book of Revelation, verse 1, we're also going to have it on the screens behind us here. And I want to remind you just real quick where we left off. So... When we left off, we were at Easter, we were in Revelation 5, and if you remember, it's a vision John has of God's throne room. It's like a courtroom kind of setting, and there's all these characters. There's the four living creatures, and there's the 12 elders around the throne, and they're worshiping, and then someone brings, there's a scroll, a scroll comes out, and someone says, who can open the scroll? And, and there's a cry that goes out because no one can open the scroll. Uh, but, but then someone says, what about the lamb? The, and the lamb comes. And this is the, the slain lamb. This is a, a picture of Jesus. And it says, the lamb can open the scroll. And that's where we left off, right? So now here we are. We got the scroll and we have the lamb. And it was found that the lamb was worthy to open it. And by the way, this, this scroll, this image of this scroll comes from Daniel. Remember we mentioned Daniel earlier? Uh, Daniel had visions as well like this, and at the end of uh, his last vision, uh, he pictures a scroll with this story, all this information, and, and God tells him, I want you to roll up the scroll and seal it until the appointed time, right? So, so John's building on that, that image. And, and by the way, there's seven seals. So imagine a big piece of paper, and it's all rolled up, and there's important information inside, and someone took wax, and they melted it into seven little globs, right? And those are what's sealing the scroll shut, okay? Now, John uses this number seven a lot in Revelation, and when he does, he means com something that's complete. He means all of something. So when he says seven, it means that this scroll gives us a complete picture of something, and now the lamb is going to start breaking the seals, and we get to see a clearer and clearer picture of what humans have done with the world that God gave them. All right, you ready? Let's take a look. So this is verse 1. So this is the narrative voice is John. And he says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. Now in that Greek, that's not just one word. It's a phrase that means come and see. Come and take a look. It's an invitation. It's to us, right? It's to us. So let's come and take a look. It says, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. 
So this, is, this first horseman is John's symbol for conquest. He has a bow. It's a symbol of oppression. It's strength and violence and the threat of violence that follows when people, powerful people, seek to control the weak. Now this theme, this theme of greed and power and violence is one that goes all the way back to the beginning of the human story. When we first meet Cain and Abel, you know about Cain and Abel from Genesis, right? They're brothers. They're the sons of Adam and Eve. And when we meet them, we see that Cain is older and he's stronger. He's got more power. And despite this advantage, he wants what his brother has and he kills him for it. And then violence enters the world. That's right at the beginning of the human story. We're off to a good start, huh? Way to go, humans. In fact, let's look at that verse just, just for a second. Genesis chapter 4. I'll, I, you don't have to turn that. I'll just read it to you. It says, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? I want to point out that this is before Cain kills Abel. God comes and speaks. He reasons with Cain. He says, why are you upset? If you do what is right, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, do right things. It's going to be okay. But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is fundamental advice that God is giving because he sees, he sees the, the desire in Cain to have something that doesn't belong to him. And he says, that thing is crouching at your door. And there's something crouching at all of our doors. He says, but you must rule over it. You must choose not to allow that thing in. Don't open the door to it. And what is Cain's answer to this? He says to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field together. Right? And he takes him out there and he kills him. And the Lord finds Cain and he says, where is your brother? And, and we all know this line, right? His reply, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries out to me. The first innocent life shed, first bloodshed, and it cries out to God. What must the sound of human history be like for God now, right? If just one life is enough to call his attention. <clears throat> I follow this uh, I don't do much, I, I'm not real active on Instagram, but I, I do have a little Instagram account because I, I like to follow things like this one, it's uh, World Nature, and it shows like all these funny animal videos. I, don't, I just like them, mostly monkeys. And I saw one this morning, and it was like, it was like 30 little, like, you know, the little monkeys with the long tails, like little white fur, you know? And 30 monkeys like in a pen, and someone pushes a, a big box of bright yellow bananas, and they just go, crazy, you know, they're like, ah, you know, they're all climbing all over each other, and they're grabbing the bananas, and some of these selfish little buggers, they got like two or three or four bananas, and they're running out, and at the very end of the video, the box is all torn up, and the last couple of bananas disappear, and then you see the small monkeys come, and they're like, oh, well, I guess not today, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like heartbreaking, you know? I feel like human history probably looks like that to God, right? It's just like the bigger, stronger, more powerful versions of us taking everything, leaving nothing behind for the weak. Right? It's the story of human beings. And we're not even to the second seal yet. Okay, here we go. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, come and see. There's another, and another horse rode out, a fiery red one. And its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. Tim was given a large sword. So this is what happens, right? So 
when people have power and, and that corruption is then exposed, they have to make war to justify it. And war comes into the, the human story. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Now this rider is holding a pair of scales in his hand. And when I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and wine. So this, this is the image of, of famine, right? The scales and the slogan are, are it's, it's what you'd hear in a, a, a food market. If you went, it's a slogan of a food merchant. And if you went into a food market um, in a Mediterranean culture uh, 2,000 years ago, you'd find that uh, an average day's wages could be traded for enough food to sustain you for that day. That's fair and that's reasonable, right? But what happens when resources become scarce? So powerful people take what they want and war enters the story, resources become scarce, and then the powerful have to crush and choke the weak in order to maintain control. So, another day on planet Earth, right? When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the, fourth, the voice of the four living creatures say, come and see. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power uh, uh, over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword or famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So the fourth horseman is death, John tells us. Hades or Sheol, it, it just re represents the grave. It's, what, it's the natural consequence in the wake of the destruction left by the violence and the, the, that is done by the greedy and powerful people in control. It's a holocaust of the defenseless. And this is what we see when we look out in history, right? People gain power. They have to work to maintain that power. So they make war on others. And who is left in the wake of that? the weak and the defenseless, and they're slaughtered, right? So this is the story in the first four seals. This is what we have done with the, the planet that God has given us. Now, things take a turn when we open the fifth seal here. And we've only got two more to go. We're just going to do six of the seven today, okay? So it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So these are people that had been following God down through history, who tried to live a righteous life, to do right before their, their God. They, they had heard the advice of God that sin was crouching at the door, and they had, they had made a choice to overcome it. And it says, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long, sovereign Lord? Can you relate to that? Do you look out in the world and go, how long, God? How much longer? Until you act, until you do something. You have the power. Why don't you do something? Here's God's response. It says, then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait just a little bit longer. It's going to be a little longer. Until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. You know, there's an important difference. There's a distinction between justice and vengeance and judgment, right? And we get these things confused. It's why we, it's why we get so, much, so messed up. This word judgment is a Greek word that the context of it is like a court of law. God is holding court. And it's, it's the people who have been oppressed and who have suffered injustice. It's their day in court and they're crying out, God, when will you do something? And he's about to. 
He's about to reveal what he's going to do. He's going to pass judgment. Now, when you hear that word judgment, what do you think of? You think of God, you know, earthquakes and God, you know, raining fire from the sky. It's actually just a word that means to divide. It means he's going to look at human history and he's, he's going to look at human beings and he's, he's going to speak and he's going to divide. And then justice will come. Justice will come. When that unimpeachable authority restores the victimized, that's justice. That's justice. And that's what the earth is longing for. That's why the blood of the innocent people are crying out. See, vengeance is different, though. Vengeance is when we... I asked the question earlier, have you ever been hurt unjustly? When we try to make right what has been made wrong on our own account, that's vengeance. That's vengeance. And that's where we get into trouble. What God is, what God is asking for us to do is to, is to leave those things in his hands, to trust him, to trust him to bring justice, right? It says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned red, and the stars in the sky fell as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. So now, now God is moving, and it's getting crazy, right? It's getting crazy. These are, these are beautiful but very figurative languages, uh, uh, words, right? So we won't expect the stars to ever fall from the sky because they don't hang from the sky. They're, they're a long ways from here. This is, this is imagery, which means that God is now moving and all of creation is vibrating and shaking with his movement. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. When the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, they hid in caves among rocks and mountains and they called to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? So just before this, people said, how long, right? The cry goes out, how long, God? How long will it be? And God answers and he moves. You know, uh, several years ago, I, I started noticing this thing uh, this thing on my back, it started growing, this little lump right by my spine. And it grew to about the size of a grape. And Amy noticed it too, even though I didn't bring it up. She just happened to notice it one day. And she said, oh gosh, you should do something about it. And I said, no, um, no, that's not what uh, men do. Uh, <laughs> see, we, me we men, we have an approach to these types of things, which is, it's a two-part approach. We ignore it, and we wait for it to go away. See, there's two parts, right? We ignore it, and we wait for it to go away. The reality is that without, uh, you know, mothers, sisters, girlfriends, wives, part, we'd all be dead. We'd, we'd all be dead. So, and this went on for a little while with her saying I should do something about it and me taking my two-part approach. And then one day I, I hit my back on a, a sharp corner of a, a table. I was underneath it and I was climbing up and I, and I whacked it really hard and it hurt really bad. And then this thing was no longer this stable size of a grape. It started growing and it, something was happening in there and it became like the size of a golf ball and it was like really hurting a lot. So I, I took my wife's advice wisely and I went to the doctor and she, you know, she looked at it and went, oh boy, we got to do something about that. And, um, and, uh, and she laid me out on a table and she, she hurt me with a knife. 
you know? Um, and she got in there and, and removed things from this thing um, and packed it full of gauze and then, you know, and hurt me some more. And, you know, it was painful what was happening. Um, uh, but, but what she was doing, it was surgery, right? It was surgery. And what she was doing is she was, she was hurting me in a limited way, but it was bringing about the best chance I had for healing. She had a plan, and it was a good plan. It was better than my plan, I'll just say. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing here in this sixth seal being broken, is that God is going to use his judgment and his justice to bring about the best possible chance for healing that this world has. He's turning this world into his operating room, and he's at work. He's in the middle of making things right. This isn't future tense. This is right now. This is happening. And just like in a major surgery, the process can be painful. We can see that, right? We look around the world, and it's, it's painful. There's pain in the world. Jesus is coming back. How is he going to find the world that he left us? You know, however much we dislike violence and injustice, God, he hates it more than we do. And he's coming back to restore this world. But this is not just us standing around waiting for him to do something. He gave us a roadmap of something that we could do while we wait. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, You have heard it said that, from the, that people long ago that, that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Right? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He's raising the bar amongst his followers. You know, he's saying that, that murder and, and, and rape and, and torture and, and slavery exist on a spectrum. They're here, but your anger, your sharp words to your neighbor and your brother exist on that same spectrum. And I want that to change, is what he's saying. I, I can't end all the violence in the world. I can't, I can't do that. But I can get the violence out of me. Right? He also says in that same chapter, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, just for context, adultery, when we think of that word, we think of two consenting adults today, right, that are uh, breaking their marriage vows. But that's not what it was when Jesus was speaking 2,000 years ago. Adultery was, was something that uh, a man could walk away from with very little consequence, whereas a woman would be destroyed in the wake of it. it is very um, out of balance. And he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. That's extreme, right? What he's saying is, you are my followers, and I need you to create a place, a space where uh, women and girls do not have to suffer even an uncomfortable glance from a man. That's the standard I'm raising. That's, that's, that's the bar that I'm raising here, is what he's saying. You know, the U.S. Department of Justice did a comprehensive study in 2016 and found that approximately 40 million people in the world, 40 million people were living in some kind of modern slavery. 40 million people in 2016. That's things like forced marriage, and sex trafficking. Millions of these people are minors. That's happening right now. The world is upside down, and Jesus will turn things right side up, but it's not a waiting game. It's not a waiting game. We're not waiting for him to fix it. He's with us while we wait. He's with us, not merely to comfort us, but he's working in us to turn us right side up 
so that we can spread hope by living right side up. He wants to make things right in us so that he can make things right in the world. God has a plan to restore all things, and, and that plan includes restoring justice. So if this is going down, then how should we live? How should we live? What do we do about it? Well, first, we should be a community right here, beginning right here in this room, who is known for creating a safe place, a refuge from the violence of the world. And second, let's allow God to search us. You know, Savannah spoke on this psalm just a few weeks ago, and it says, search us and know us and change every grievous way in us. You and I, we brought grievous ways with us into this room, but we can leave them here. That's what he's saying. We can do that. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find Hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.